1: well welcome everybody. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Uh, I just have to say this is our second week in this series um, and sometimes we have like these like bumper videos where it's like a transition and we get them from an organization puts them together and sometimes they're very mellow. And this one's like, I'm like, I'm ready to go, let's go. So uh, just really enjoying uh, this time that we have together. This is your very first time with us. Welcome. Uh, We're so glad that you're here. And wherever you are on your faith journey, whether this is your very first time in church, whether you've been in church for years, whether you're not sure who Jesus is and if he's important in your life, or whether you're a fully devoted follower, wherever you are on your journey, we're so glad to be able to have this time together as we dive into God's word. And I fully believe that each and every person who hears, who's part of, part of this sermon, who's part of this service, is someone that God loves and created, someone that Jesus died for, and someone that the Holy Spirit wants to draw one step closer to the Father this morning. So whether you're live in person, live online, watching or listening later, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Now we are, uh, as uh, we mentioned earlier, we're in a series called Summer on the Mount. Um, as Through studying this, now that this again, our second Sunday, um, I very quickly realized that Uh, This Sermon on the Mount, trying to squeeze it into eight or nine weeks, uh, is hard to do. There's so much um, incredible stuff in here, so many challenging, encouraging things. Um, and I'm, I was thinking to myself, you know, this might be something where in another, in a future time, it might be like taking almost a whole year to go through it because there's so much, even today, as we look through the Beatitudes, there are going to be things that we're going to briefly mention that could we could go much further in depth uh, in the future. So probably not next year because that's a little too soon, but in the next you know, 2025 or so to 2026, be aware, we might be going through that. So with that said. Uh, we uh, had a wonderful opportunity, my family and I, uh, I mentioned last week uh, was my wife and my um, 17th anniversary, um, and then we uh, had a family member who said, hey, we want to be able to um, pay for you guys to be able to go to Disneyland and spend a couple of days there. And so we said, yes, please, and we were able to go to Disneyland um, in California Adventure. So here's one picture of us um, at the castle, and this is at the very beginning of our journey. Uh, so the smiles are big, and the... And the sunscreen was still working you know like we're we're able to really enjoy those two days here and so for us or, you know um it had been several years since we gone so it was my first time going to like star wars land and uh being able to really enjoy that um the girls uh got droids and so they got to anyways it was really really fun um i was a little fresh not frustrated i was a little discouraged i didn't see quite as many like people just munching on turkey legs as i remembered in the past but that's okay and it was one of those where when you're here, you're at this place, you know, supposed to be the happiest place on earth. And you start to, you know, the nickname of the magic kingdom and and just thinking about this idea of when you're here and you see people at Disneyland. I mean, this is where we, we highlight, okay, we get to be able to eat whatever you want to eat. Uh, people get impatient and will cut people off. And, and it's this microcosm of the world in a way we see so many different types of people from so many different places with so many different languages. And all of a sudden, we're all here together, um, you know, waiting in line for things. And so just... Being able to see this and recognize the different values that people have in the sense of, again, it's, it's hey, let's lower our inhibitions a little bit because we're on vacation. Or let's, let's, let's stay out a little bit later because it's a break. Let's, let's you know, try to push and get in front of other people in line because it's about our experience rather than everybody else's. And let's put our own needs, wants, and desires above those of others. Now, that's not what we would verbalize there. That's not what we tell our girls, okay, when you're here, make sure if you ever get lost, you know mommy and daddy's phone number, but also get your way and don't let anyone else in front. Like, it's not like a lesson we're teaching, but it pictures and it embodies some of the dynamics of what happens when we want to experience enjoyment. And if enjoyment becomes the number one priority, it means that sometimes we'll put others' needs below ours. Sometimes we'll put, we'll just say yes when we don't really need to. Sometimes we'll go ahead and um, sacrifice what we want to do long term for the benefit or of a short term happiness. And so as we unpack this morning, we're looking at the Beatitudes, and we're going to be, uh, have a sermon called the Upside-Down Kingdom. So not the Magic Kingdom, but the Upside-Down Kingdom, and not, just the hap- not about the happiest place on earth, but who is it that Jesus calls happy? Who is it that he calls blessed? And how is it that we can live those out in such a way that people far from God would want to draw near to him? So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether live in person, live online, watching or listening later throughout the week. And God, I thank you for the fact that you love each person who hears my voice more than they could even hope for or imagine. And, and as we come to you, maybe we come here this morning thinking about all the ways we've fallen short this week. Maybe we come here this morning thinking that we're not lovable or not valuable to you, that we have to earn our way to you, that. that Lord, we come and we're broken because we know that there's nothing we can do to be able to earn your love. And God, if that's where we are, may you meet us here today. May we remember what it's like to to know that we can't earn our way. It's all a gift. And because of that, may we live in such a way that honors you as our gift giver. Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Last week, if you weren't with us, we read the entire Sermon on the Mount, took us about 12 minutes, Matthew 5 through 7, and we just looked at some of the general ideas of how the Sermon on the Mount points us Godward towards Christ, points us inward towards our character, points us outward to living out our faith in circumstances, points us forward and points other people forward to commitment to Him, and then lastly, how it points us to be able to um, go onward no matter what we face. Now, what we're going to look at here in the next few minutes that we have together is the idea of an upside-down kingdom. The idea that if we were to list out the blessings and the values of the world, we would have to flip those upside-down in order to see what it is that Jesus values and who has great value in his sight. So our first point that we talk about is the idea of upside-down blessings, that the values of the world are the opposite of the kingdom. The values of this world are opposite of the kingdom of God. And so... Before we read the passage in Matthew 5, we want to take a couple moments to look at who are some of the people that in our culture and in our world today, we would look at and say they're the ones who are happy or they're the ones who are blessed. They're the ones who who have it all together. They're the ones that we look at and idolize and just make a list of some of the things that we would look at in that way. So we have a table here that we put together and we might say, blessed are the self-sufficient. Happy are those who have all that they need on their own. We, we, we idolize people who say, I can do this. I, I, I reached all these things from the sweat of my own brow, and I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I was able to make myself something as a self-made man or woman in this country. And so being able to think of the idea of we're self-sufficient, that we look at people and think, oh, they're strong. And we would think, according to the world, they're strong because they don't need other people. When in reality, we all need one another. We're all created for community, both relationship with others and ultimately a relationship with God. But we would look and say, it's the people who have it all together, the people who are self-sufficient, who are blessed, who are happy in the way that our world would view it. We also look at the comfortable, the ones who don't have to worry about things, the ones who things have always been easy or the ones that have always had stuff um, given to them or they work at it, but they enjoy their comforts. And they're willing to just, um, they're willing to recognize the fact that it's comfort is their ultimate pursuit. And so they think, oh, as long as things are good and I feel comfortable, I'm not willing to step out in faith or I'm not willing to do where God has called me because that might disrupt my comfort. And there's a difference between God as the comforter and us being comfortable, right? There's one where in the midst of difficulty, God provides comfort. Absolutely. We'll read more about that in just a few moments. But the, uh, the flip side is the idea that we idolize and we look to people, oh, their life must be so easy. They don't have anything to worry about because they have so much money or prestige or status or success. Their lives must be comfortable. We look at blessed are the powerful. The ones who, whether it's through just their, their power of their personality or their abilities or just the, the ability that they have to rise up in different um, realms of influence, we think Blessed are the powerful, the ones who, the movers, the shakers, the ones who can make things happen, we give them glory, or we look to them and say, wow, they must have it all together, they must be blessed, they must be happy because they have all this power to determine what's going on in their lives. Blessed are the free, and I put free in quotation because this idea is the idea of the free to to live the way that anyone wants. The freedom to be able to live this, the the idea would be like, if you've heard of the word licentiousness, so the idea of the license to do and be however they want to be. And we all think, oh, man, we want to be free. We want to throw off restraints. We want to throw off what it is that maybe God might tell us how to live. But so what we want to do is to live the way we want. And this is not about pointing fingers to any other particular person. It's about recognizing the facts that in our own way, there are times when we want to be on the throne of our own lives. We know God's word might say something and we think, well, I like this part of it, but this part I don't agree with. So I want to determine that I'm the one in charge. And so that way we think of ourselves as being free. But it's the kind of freedom to do what we want, not the kind of freedom that actually sets us free, the kind of freedom that comes in Christ, the kind of freedom to know that getting what we want is not getting what we need. And doing what we want is not going to set us free. And so we put free in quotation marks there. because we, we emphasize, oh, they're free. They're able to do whatever they want. But that's not the right kind of freedom. Because we have the two different types of freedom is the freedom to do what we want and then the freedom to do what we ought to do that will actually set us free. We say, blessed are those or happy are those who are blunt. They, don't, they say, I don't care. You know, I'm just going to speak the truth how I see it. And there are people who say, oh, oh, I appreciate that person because that person, you know, they, they, they just say what they want. They don't even think about how it's going to impact others. They just tell the truth. And we think, wow, that's a really admirable quality. Some of us would look and say, wow, it's amazing that they could just speak the truth. But bluntness is not, first of all, always truthfulness, but bluntness is often not kindness. But we look and we say, oh, that that person just tells it like it is. We have value for that. Blessed are those who look good. And this isn't, this isn't just like outward appearance, like, like they're attractive, but the idea that they look like they have everything together. That the outside, they, they look like they have the right jobs the right status the right live in the right places they they look good on the outside and so their pursuit is for looking good rather than the pursuit of being pure or actually seeking good it's the it's the external desire rather than the inward transformation and so blessed are those that look good on the outside it's the idea that jim carrey once said that i wish everybody would get rich So they could ultimately see how unfulfilling it is. It's that they have everything that they'd want. But in the end, the internal, there's still a loss there. There's still something broken. There's still a need for something greater than just the external approval or applause from others. Blessed are those, we think of those who stir up conflict. And we don't, we wouldn't say it like this. But the idea is, man, I love, again, how people just speak truth and don't matter how, it impacts others. I mean, there are entire industries that are built upon people just being rabble-rousers, people stirring up conflict, people fear-mongering, people who are creating a, a sense of strife and enmity where there need not be any strife or enmity. And so we see this on every different side of the political aisle. We see this in every single, like, online chat forum that you're ever a part of that there's always this dynamic of creating and stirring up controversy rather than building bridges they build up walls and they attack anybody on the wrong side of their wall and then lastly blessed are those who stand up for for what's right for them for their own righteousness for their own truth for the people who are standing up for not what's an objective truth but the subjective what's right or wrong so We have these different lists that maybe we wouldn't agree with all of them, but I think we could see that our culture would elevate people who live in this way, whether it's some of them, all of them, or what have you. We think, oh yeah, no, we do value people who have things all together. We do value those who are comfortable. We do value those who are in power, and we do value all these different things. And so we look at this, but the world's definition of value is upside down from what God says. The world's idea of blessings, of happiness, is upside down from what God says. Jesus, as he starts the Sermon on the Mount, we read it aloud last week, but the first words from the Sermon on the Mount are found in Matthew 5, and we're gonna read 3 through 12 together. They won't be on the screen, so you could follow along uh, in your Bible. You could follow along just by listening, um, or if you didn't bring a Bible, we have one um, in the seat in front of you. It says this, Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before them. Now, in order to unpack this word blessed or blessed, we see this idea of a a beatitude, this idea of blessed are those. We see some of this in the Old Testament. It's wisdom literature that we see. But Kenneth Baker gives us, Barker, excuse me, gives us an idea of how we should look at this word. That the way Jesus is using it, the word blessed means more than happy. Translation could be happy. Translation could be fortunate. But it's saying it's more than happy because happiness is an emotion often dependent on outward circumstances, Trust me, the happiest place on earth is only the happiest place on earth when there's no lines, when it's not too hot, and when we all have turkey legs. right? Like it's, There are circumstances around us that allow for us to feel happy. But blessed here refers to the ultimate well-being and distinctive spiritual joy of those who share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. It's saying that all of us will experience times of mourning, All of us will experience times of being poor in spirit or where we need to have peace or whatever it is. All of us will experience that. But when we experience that within the right relationship with Jesus Christ, when we experience that through hope of the salvation, the fact that it's everything that he's done for us and we can't earn it, if we grow in that distinctive spiritual joy is what allows us to stand apart and allows us to go through these difficulties looking different than the world. It's what allows us to be able to go through hardships and for people to say there's something different about you going through this illness, you going through this cancer diagnosis, you going through this brokenness, you going through this divorce, you going through this loss of a child, you going through this is different than how we see other people going through it. While others might turn to addictions or apathy or anything, we see something different in you. Because there's a distinctive spiritual joy. Because joy is different than happiness. Happiness is external circumstances. It's a temporary state of being. Joy can be there always. And this is a lot easier said than done. But let's take a look. When we look at the word blessed in this list, it's not saying that they are the temporarily happy ones. It's saying that they have a sustained joy because of their relationship with Jesus. So to contrast, let's look at what it says here. The first one is the blessed are the poor in spirit. These are the ones who, the opposite of self-sufficient. These are the ones who recognize on their own, there is no way for them to have a right relationship with God because we can't earn it. We have, we have a proper understanding of our own brokenness and sinfulness. And we have a proper understanding that out of our brokenness and sinfulness, that if the wages of sin is death and the fact that none of us are righteous, no, not one, that all of us, because of our sin, would have earned, as our wages, eternal separation from God. And yet, while the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23, the next part is, but the grace of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's recognizing that we cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. We can receive it. We can believe through it and we can allow it to change how we live. But as opposed to the ones who we have it all together, who we think that, oh, they're the ones that don't need anybody, the poor in the spirit are acutely aware of how much we need God. And we're acutely aware of our brokenness, our neediness, And the fact that there is nothing we could do. If we built up all of our good deeds throughout all of our life, it would be not enough. Nowhere near enough. And yet that's the beauty of the gospel, the fact that Jesus came down, and while we were still sinners, he died for us. That instead of looking to his own interests, he put the interests of others above his own. and We ought to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God, Something to be taken to his own advantage, but made himself nothing, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Philippians 2 paints this picture of God who was in the riches of heaven through Jesus comes down and Jesus comes to the rags of the earth. And he brings us back to the riches of heaven. Whereas our culture, we want to be people who we celebrate the American dream of going from the rags of poverty or rags of difficulty to the riches of being self-made. And then if we're not careful, we'll experience that brokenness as well. And so it's the opposite. It's blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. This could be a mourning for for grief, like we've talked about over the past several weeks, when it comes to a loss. It also goes to a mourning in, in this context, too, of Mourning our own sinfulness, mourning our own brokenness, and mourning the corporate brokenness and sinfulness of our culture. It's recognizing that there is so much that can break our hearts about what's going on in our own hearts, and it's also what's going on in the world around us. It's not saying I'm sad about my own sin, but I'm judgmental or, I'm, or I'm, I'm attacking others. It's that there is so much brokenness. And the sins that we see in this world are, cause us to break our heart because we know that right relationship with Jesus is what allows us to be comforted. And yet we know so many people who are broken, who are mourning, and who are so far from receiving that comfort because they're so far from being poor in spirit enough to recognize their need for Jesus' comfort. Blessed are the meek. Meek is humble. It's someone who doesn't, um, doesn't push for their own rights above the rights of others. Another definition I've seen is the idea that it's not weakness, but it's strength restrained in the sense of whenever you're holding a newborn baby, you're strong enough to be able to you know, squeeze the baby too tightly or whatever. But it's, it's knowing that there's gentleness, that you're strong enough to care and you're strong enough to hold, but you choose to not overpower someone else and you love them tenderly. You care about them. You are meek, you are humble, you are not about getting your own way, which is why it's the opposite of powerful. Powerful will push others back. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But meekness, meekness doesn't corrupt absolutely. Meekness loves tenderly and kindly and comes alongside those who are going through difficult times. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness as opposed to hungering and thirsting for the ability to be free to do the, uh, live however we want. It's those who long for what is right in God's sight. And if we hunger and we thirst and we long for what is right in God's sight, God says that, Jesus says that we will be filled because we're gonna keep pursuing him. So no matter how difficult things get, no matter how easy it is to want to be the kings and queens of our own lives and to sit on the throne of our own hearts and make our way the way that we want most, It's acknowledging the fact that we want to seek in what God thinks is right. And when we are in a right relationship with God and we understand that, then we know that it's not right for us to put ourselves on the throne. That's what the temptation of humanity has been throughout all of time. From the garden, when they said that you can, the serpent deceived Eve and Adam, to be able to say that you can determine what's right and wrong. You can live forever. All the way until Revelation, when it shows how the saints of God will cast down their crowns before Jesus on his throne. Because we realize it's not about us being in charge. So the constant battle of who is the king and queen of our own lives. Recognize we want to seek righteousness, what is right, even when that's going upstream against the culture of the world. Blessed are the merciful. Not the blunt who don't care what they say and how it impacts people, but those who show mercy to people. Those who recognize that, listen, people aren't statistics, people aren't um, unnamed, um, impersonal people, that if there's someone who's broken, that is someone that God created and loves. That is someone who has been formed in the image of God. And that is someone that we can come alongside. And then it's the merciful. It's to recognize that while we show mercy to others, if we live in such a way that others will show mercy to us. See, so one of the temptations we have looking at this list is that we want to have the rewards without living out what it means to be this blessed, to have the attitude of the blessedness. We want the kingdom of heaven without being poor in spirit, right? We want to be comforted without mourning first. We wanna be able to have the rewards of the good life, but we need to recognize that the blessedness comes not with the rewards, but with the relationship of Jesus. And the rewards will come. One of the quotations I, talked, I read about earlier was that when he says, you will be comforted, that's referring to certainty, not future, futurity, which I didn't think was a word, but the idea is it's not saying I'm making a, a prediction. It's a certainty. So if I were to say, hey, All of us will leave this room today. That's not me making a big profit, like, like future description or projection. That's, we will all leave this room at some point today, right? Like that's just a declaration. So the morning will be comforted. The merciful will be shown mercy. We wish it was like that and it might take a while, but it will happen. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The pure in heart are the ones that are so focused on God as their sole desire. That in their hearts, they don't want God and fame, or God and popularity, or God and success in the workplace, or God and whatever it may be to fill in the gap for you. It's being so pure that you fix your eyes on God and allow him to do that work inside of you. So it's the opposite of trying to look good. It's the opposite of another idea for pure in heart is singularly focused. So it's the opposite of being a hypocrite. So a hypocrite is someone who would wear a mask inside uh, and do a play in the Greek theater. It's the idea of being divided. It's the idea of you're different when you're in front of other people than you are when you're by yourself. It's the idea of having integrity comes from the word integer, which is a whole number, which means that you are whole. You are the same no matter where you are or with whom you're around or if you're by yourself. If If you have integrity, if you're pure in heart, it means you are the same. Monday through Saturday as you are Sunday morning. Because, and if you're pure in heart, we will be the ones, if you're pure in heart, to see God. Doesn't mean you're perfect all the time, but it means your singular focus is Christ-likeness. Your singular focus is for us to decrease and for God to increase. Your singular focus is to draw closer to God. And when that's your singular focus, you, we, will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, We've talked about this before, it's not about peacekeeping. There's people who are rabble-rousers who just stir up conflict and don't care how it impacts people. Then there are peacekeepers who just say, okay, if you could just stay on your side and you just stay on your side, we'll keep a false peace rather than someone who's a peacemaker who comes in to the division, who comes in to the conflict. And instead of stirring it up and keeping it going, says, let's break down the walls and let's build bridges. Hey, if you're upset about something, anger is often a secondary emotion to hurt. So if, you, if you're angry with me, what, what, what did I do to hurt you? Let's, let's get to the level to find, and then I can apologize, or I can ask for forgiveness, or we can get clarity there. It's building bridges rather than keeping the walls up. And then lastly, it's perse- blessed are those who are persecuted for, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they're standing up for what is right in God's eyes. And so this is a lot harder because we recognize that we have to know what's right in God's eyes. So we have to know his word well enough in order to be able to say, okay, yes, this is the righteousness and this is how we ought to live right before God. But not just live it. We can't just hear it on a Sunday morning. We have to live it so clearly Monday through Saturday that people would question, people would say, why are you living according to that? And they might mock you because of it. They might persecute. You might be excluded from certain groups. You might be separated from job opportunities. You might be that. But, but what good is it for us to gain the world and to lose our soul in the process? It's fixing our eyes on Jesus and recognizing that when we do that, yes, there is persecution. And years ago when I was uh, in a season that um, things were difficult. I remember I was trying to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. I only got to about um, Matthew 5, probably 19 or so, so I didn't get very far. But as I was going through a difficult time, I remember I was memorizing it and I was saying it out loud. And sometimes when you repeat something out loud, you start to notice something. And, and many of you have noticed this before, but it struck me when I first read it, that when you look at verses 3 through 10, it's always in the third person. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are um, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. But in verses 11 and 12, we see that the, the, um, it goes from the third person to the second person. It goes from the general to the specific. It goes from the overall to the personal. Because he says this, Blessed are you when people insult you. Not blessed are those in general, Blessed are you, and not blessed are you if people will. Blessed are you when. When we look at the upside-down values, upside-down blessings, we ought not be surprised when living according to the values of the kingdom gets us in conflict with the world. We ought not be surprised when the world doesn't value the things that we value. Instead, it's saying, how then do we live? Instead of building up walls and saying, well, I'm on the right side and you're on the wrong side, it's how do we build bridges? Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way that persecuted the prophets who were before you. We often want the rewards of life with God before we experience the difficulties. We don't always see that it's, we receive the comfort after we've had to mourn. We've experienced peace after we've had to go and face conflict. We've experienced this persecution, but it's after we're standing up for God's righteousness. So this is an example of when there's so much content that we could unpack with each one of these. Each one of those could be their own sermon. But I want to move forward to the idea of, first, we look at the upside-down blessings. The idea that the values of the kingdom are far different than the world. In the few minutes I have remaining, I want to look at the upside-down salvation. It's about crawling, not climbing. Upside-down salvation, crawling, not climbing. See, um, I was looking for, last night I was was trying to finalize the the sermon, and um, Steph and the girls went to a friend's house, and they had a movie night. And when they came home, I was talking to Steph about how I just, there's this one like illustration I'm trying to think of like an example of, but I can't quite figure it out. And I explained it to her and she said, that's, that's just funny because friends that we talked to shared about how they recently went on a trip to Kauai and they ended up recently going to the Makauai Cave. Has it, I don't know if anyone's been to Kauai, but here's a cave that is at the end of a road and inside here is a small trail. Now the trail, what I read up on, so is that's two feet high by two feet wide. And so as you can see, it's, it's a little blocked out here. It's hard to see, but this is a small entrance. You can't stand and walk into this entrance. You've got to crawl either on your hands and knees or to be able to squat like that. But, but you cannot get into this cave while standing upright. And so we start to see, you go to the next picture, where as you're coming through here, you start to see at the end of the cave, there's a little bit of an opening. And then when you get to the other side, it's just this beautiful, like, archaeologically important area in which you get to see the blue skies of Kauai. There's, a, there's a turtles there that, like, have their own little area. That There are different fossils, different things that they've learned about. But it's this beautiful location that you could not experience without crawling through in order to get through it. Walking with God is this idea, it's a beautiful relationship, but we have to enter into that relationship with humility. We have to be poor in spirit enough to think that, or to know, that we can't climb our way up and achieve our way up to relationship, a right relationship with Jesus. He's not gonna come to us, and we'll see later in Matthew 7, the idea that people will say, Lord, didn't I do all these great things for you? We prophesied in your name. I cast out demons. We we saw miracles take place, and Jesus says, "Away from me, you evildoer! I never knew you." It's about the relationship. It's about us humbling ourselves. We hear this idea too about like when it comes to different religions that you know you'll you'll hear the world talk about how you know different religions are the same way are different ways up to the same mountain, which is just unequivocally not true, because. When it comes to other religions and other faith systems, it's about earning. It's about doing. When it comes to Jesus, it's about receiving, and it's about what he's done. And that takes humility to understand. There's a story in the book of Kings when this guy, Naaman, who was a foreign guy who had leprosy, and there's a, a servant girl who was from Israel, and she said, you should go and you should see Elisha. He's one of the prophets, and he can tell you what you need to do in order to be healed. And he goes, and, and Elisha tells him, hey, go wash into the pool and come back out. And, and Naaman gets upset at first. He's like, why, why? No, like, you want, I came all this way, and you want me to go into a pool? Like, that makes no sense. And someone comes alongside him and says, If he had asked you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done it? And yet he asked you to do something simple. And the gist of it is, are you so prideful that you wouldn't subject yourself to something that seems like it makes no sense in order to potentially be healed? Whereas we try to climb our way up. And if someone were to say, hey, in order for you to be right with Jesus, you need to be able to do all the right things all the time, always. Like, okay, I'm going to work really hard at it. And then we might even have an interaction with Jesus, like the rich young ruler, when he says, what do I need to do to, eternal, uh, to inherit eternal life? Well, do all the laws. Oh, I've done that already. And right there, when the rich young ruler says, I've done all these things, you recognize that there's still space. He thinks he's climbed his way up to achieve salvation. When the path to salvation is not what the world says about climbing, it's about being willing to crawl, about willing to acknowledge our humility. It's about recognizing we cannot do this on our own. We see this here. This quotation says this, the deeper we grow in the spirit of Jesus Christ, the poorer we become, the more we realize that everything in life is a gift. The tenor of our lives becomes one of humble and joyful thanksgiving. Awareness, friends, awareness of our poverty and ineptitude causes us to rejoice in the gift of being called out of darkness into wondrous light and translated into the kingdom of God's beloved son. We might be standing on the outside and we see this small cave opening like they did in Kauai and it's, I don't want to go into that. I don't want to crawl. I don't want to make myself do that. It just looks like a little bit of darkness. I don't see the other end of that journey. But if we're willing to humble ourselves and we're willing to crawl to Jesus rather than parade about all of our good deeds to him, we might walk through some darkness and there might be difficult times, but there will be a moment when we will receive and see the beauty, that we will see the majesty of who he is, we will see his love for us and we will recognize that we are beloved sons and daughters invited into the kingdom through God's beloved son. Lastly, we look at the idea of the upside down blessings. Then we look at the upside down salvation. We can't earn it, can't deserve it. The last one I want to hit on very briefly is the upside down impact. When I was growing up um, in my English uh, AP class, they talked about, um, one of the, the teachers would always just talk about in high school, he's said, the way up is the way down. The way up is the way down. And we think about when it comes to having an impact, if you think of financially, let's pretend I'm presenting something, which I guess I am, but let's pretend I'm presenting something. And I would say, okay, we want to go up and to the right. You heard this verbiage before that if if you want something to be better, if you want to have impact, it needs to be going to the right over time and it needs to be improving over time. We want to move up and to the right, which means we want further progress. We want further profits. We want further things. We want to keep going up and to the right. And if we go backwards or if things get down, then we're not having a good impact. So we think the way up is for us to do more, work more, be more, pursue. The, 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 the problem we experience is when we look at what Jesus says to be blessed are the poor in spirit, but we view it with the mindset that we still see in the world. That we say, oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, I'm like super poor in spirit, you can't spell humble without M-E-Me. Like we start to get, apply the world's perspective on God's words. And so then what happens is, is that we need to get to the point. Where we recognize that the way up, the way to have an impact is not by earning. It's by having an impact on people, no matter how broken and how far down they may seem. Here's what Kathy Escobar says. She says, the more we read the Gospels, allowing the Beatitudes to sink into our bones and be sewn into our skin, the more we realize that there's really nowhere else to go but down. Down into the mess of real life. Down into the ugly places of the human experience. Down into the places where real people in need of God's hope live. It's seeing the brokenness of others and not saying, you're on the wrong side of the wall. It's not about saying we're up here and things are fine. It's it's saying how can we go inch down into the mess? And when we go down into someone else's mess to help bring healing and hope? Friends, we are literally being like Jesus, who came from the the rags, excuse me, the riches of heaven and came down into the rags of this world. That he knew what it was like to have skin knees, they knew what it was like to be hungry, he knew what it was like to have bad breath, he knew what it was like to face and to have to work hard in order to, to to be a carpenter or whatever. He knew what that experience was like when he was comfortable in the riches of heaven. But he did that. And as he was coming down is what he does to bring us up into right relationship with him. So verse 13, as we close, 13 through 16, we see this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This is that, if the salt loses its saltiness, this is what happens when we lose our distinctness. Remember we talked about earlier in that quotation about the distinctive joy that comes from a relationship with God. See, the idea of salt back in the day is that it would preserve meat, That would provide flavor. And one of the commentaries I liked that I thought was, I just thought it was a good idea of looking at it too. Salt also causes us to be thirsty, right? Like it creates thirst. Are we living in such a way that we are preserving what God's word says? Are we preserving the value of human life? Are we preserving those things? Are we providing flavor to the world around us? And are we living in such a way that if we live well, that people would thirst for what we have, or rather who we have a relationship with. If Jesus is a living water, are we living in such a way that the saltiness of our testimony causes people to want to take a deep drink of who he is and what he has for them? Because the world's going to offer sodas, right? The world's going to offer other types of ways to quench thirst, but those things don't quench thirst, they perpetuate it. Water quenches, Are we living in such a way that people will know to whom they can go to have the ultimate thirst in their lives quenched? And so we have to keep our distinctiveness. We have to keep ourselves crawling when it comes to relationship with God, not trying to earn, so that when we live differently, people will see that. And we won't lose our saltiness. We'll keep our distinction. Lastly, verse 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bull. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He's saying this to his disciples. He's saying... Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Blessed are the broken, and you are the salty. If you are distinct in how you preserve and how you provide flavor and how you help people be thirsty for Jesus. And then he says, you are the light of the world. Not the ones on that list who have it all together. You, me, we are the light of the world. Precisely because we don't have it all together. And precisely because our, in our not-togetherness, or not having a togetherness, we point to God's goodness. And his provision and his mercy, and his hope, and his salvation, and his love, and his joy. Let your light shine before others. I like this part where it talks about like a city on a hill can't be hidden. Uh, A couple of us were looking at signs around our church, and so we walked across the street uh, earlier this week to kind of look at like, when can you see the church building from where we're standing? And if you're driving by, can you see it easily or not? And it's hard to see because of the different trees and all those different dynamics. So maybe our church isn't very easily seen from the street by someone driving by. Not always. But are we living in such a way that Christ's light and his hope is easily seen in how we live? Are you, am I, are we living in such a way that in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, people will be able to see the hope and the light of Jesus? Origen, who was a theologian in the second century, wrote this. The communities of God to which Christ has become teacher and guide are in comparison with communities of the pagan people among whom they live as strangers like heavenly lights in the world. The community of God. So our church and other churches in our city ought to be lights in a dark place. And we don't hide it. We, we, We don't lose our distinctiveness. We speak the truth of God's word in the love of God's heart. But we do so in such a way that people start to be thirsty for what it is that we have. We do so in such a way that we don't take on the world's definition of success and just paste that onto Christian values. No, no, we become different inwardly and then we express it outwardly so that people far from him would long to know who he is and that we'd be ready in season and out of season, to be able to declare the reason for the hope that we have. And friends, when we do this individually, it's beautiful. We know people like, oh, that person is such an encouragement. That person is such a light. When we do this in a community, we're lights in a dark place and it changes the world. Jesus started this faith. He started with a small community and it's grown over 2,000 years. May we continue that legacy, to be a light in a dark place, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, even if the trees are tall, but to be people who live in such a way that those far from God would want to draw near, not because we get credit, but that they would see our good deeds and not give us credit, but to give our Father glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching, or listening later. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are here with us. And I thank you that no matter where we are in a relationship with God, some of us are um, still on that journey. Some of us aren't sure. Some of us are going back and forth. Some of us are pursuing forward. But Lord, I pray that no matter where we are, may your Holy Spirit take hold of our hearts. May we hear about the different values of the world. or May we hear about the importance of, of crawling Rather than climbing, may we see the fact that we can't earn it, and that's the beauty of it. It's a gift that you have given. And that way, we just get to share the gift we've already received to those around us. So God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your love for us. And I pray that you, Holy Spirit, be moving now as we enter into this time of communion as we sing the song to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening, so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.